Well, it turns out I'm not perfect. Did you notice the missing episode 28? Yeah, I mislabeled things. So episode 29 is actually episode 28. And this is going to be episode 29. We'll call it uh, 29B. How's that? Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Inspiro podcast. The podcast exploring personal growth, leadership, strategy, communication, and fulfillment. We are your hosts, Jason Luchtefeld and Bill Woodburn. I'm here as a dentist, transitioning into a career to help facilitate individuals and their organizations towards a more fulfilling future. Hi there, I'm Bill Woodburn, and I'm a licensed professional counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist in Austin, Texas. I'm fascinated by the way people come together to solve problems whether that's couples or families, dental practices or organizations. We're going to be exploring a lot of topics and for us to be able to be free to do that, I have to let you know that this is not intended to be dental advice or counseling advice. I'd like to move to a tool I've learned about a long time ago and it fits here. It's something that was developed by the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, I think is what it's called. And it's the ruler, R-U-L-E-R. It's taught to kids to teach kids emotional intelligence. And I like it for adults too, because most adults have not formally learned about emotional intelligence. So it's a nice introductory tool. So the R is to recognize the emotions. So self-awareness. U is understanding the causes and consequences of the emotions. You've already talked about that today once. You've also talked about the L, labeling the emotions. Uh, number four, E, expressing the emotions in accordance with cultural norms and social context. That one we can come back to. And then the final R in ruler is regulating the emotions with helpful strategies. We teach this as well in uh, the EI course. Uh, we teach it in the framework of uh, Goleman's um, methodology, I guess you could say, where we're talking about self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and then relationship management. The thing I like about the ruler, instead of using the awareness, uh, no, sorry, the wheel of feelings, feeling wheel, it uses a mood meter. So it allows a little bit more nuance in exploring the mood to try to dig into those emotions that we're feeling. Okay, so that's ruler. I'd like to come back to expressing the emo emotions in accordance with cultural norms and social context. To me, this flies in the face a little bit of trying to be authentic. Yes. Yeah. And so at what point do we bend ourselves to fit culture and social norms depending upon how much bending is needed and how much are we the black sheep, as you say? I'm going to get back to something that you set for us, which I think is a great theme, which is tolerance of rejection. Mm -hmm. Okay. Basically, rule of thumb is you can be as authentic as you're willing to to handle the rejection that comes if you are not doing the thing that the people around you want you to do, or if you're doing something really inconvenient for them. 
Mm-hmm. And most of the time, we already have an automatic thing in our brain that's juggling that. Okay. You know, I, I, we were a bunch of friends. We were a bunch of friends. Well, where do we all want to go to eat? I want Mexican food. And then we go, okay, now, how am I going to, I go, how am I going to couch this so I get my need met? Because these guys really are not terribly into Mexican food. So how am I going to do this so that I can get what I want? They're going to, so yeah, we, we normally run through those calculations. Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, we spot people who can't do those calculations very quickly. They just can't seem to figure out how much of their own needs get pushed forth versus how much everybody else's needs and what the mix is. Or we could say authenticity, being very authentic about what they need, but they're not really you know, fitting in very well with the cultural context or whatever. The, so I mean, we, we can spot those folks. So most of us are juggling that. And some of emotional intelligence is being able to juggle that well. And one of the things that's lovely about being in a uh, a team that you have worked with a long time or a group of friends is is you you can much more accurately figure out how authentic can I be right now? Because mm-hmm. these guys have a t- they it's not it's my tolerance, but also their tolerance. How much can they handle? You know, if I say, listen, I'm I'm angry at all you guys right now. Well, I've got friends that'll go, oh yeah, man, what's up? And they're not, they don't freak out. And, but if I was at your average cocktail party, you know, I'm not sure how well that would go over. Mm-hmm. Next in that line was the R for um, strategies. So this, I think, leads naturally into talking about self-management strategies for emotional self-care. And I don't know that they're going to be all that different from things we've already mentioned other than, so I would be talking about meditation, journaling, the the things we've discussed before. The only difference I would add is again, going back to what you mentioned about being able to label the emotion accurately. That to me is something that is difficult to learn. It's difficult to, to get into that. What is this emotion? And what do I do with it? How do I process it? How do I not let it consume me, overwhelm me? Uh, something I'm certainly not good at it. I'm I'm a, a huge work in progress when it comes to that in certain with certain emotions. So, what else could you add to? strategies for emotional self-care especially for those ones that we find most challenging let me let me give just a couple of i'll, I'll just call them rules of thumb things to try very quick okay yep um, you're you're um, you're in a treatment conference with a patient and they're angry or they're rejecting or whatever and it's starting to to hook you a little bit one of the things i do is i say who are they talking to simple answer is yeah they're they're pointed at me but as human beings part of the problem is we have eyes in the front so they could be talking to their spouse who they know is not in the treatment room but they know that when they go home and say twenty thousand dollars for dentistry the spouse's head's going to explode and they don't know how to explain it to them. they may not be talking to me about the money they may mm-hmm. be talking to someone else who's not quite there this is a way of, of making this not quite about me. So it's like, what parts of this are about me? But what parts of this? They are talking to somebody else. They're talking to their mom, their dad, their spouse, 
their kids. Um, they're still talking to the hygienist that they got crossways with before they came in here. Um, it's just an interesting question to ask. Who are they really talking to? The other question I like to ask myself is, how much can I approach this with curiosity? That has been a great saving grace for me. I have been consciously, intentionally working on my ability to stay curious while tense for years now. And it really pays off when someone is angry or upset or whatever. And it would be very easy for me to, to get really hooked into that. I'm, I'm staying curious. I'm staying, oh, I wonder what they're going to say next. I wonder what they're going to feel next. I wonder what's going to happen next. Okay. The way you're describing that, it sounds like you're saying stay curious as a mood mm -hmm. for yourself. Yep. Your, your presentation of that is the intentional um, attention that you're giving that person's words and actions. Mm -hmm. How does stay curious come out? Is it that you're asking more questions? Is it that you're not taking things personally? H how do you verbalize that when you're in that situation? You know, I could have all sorts of answers, but really what happens is if I can stay curious internally, and I'll just say, find that curious place inside me, because I'm actually kind of a curious person. That's part of why I went into a profession rather than just you know, working at Walmart. Uh, I'm curious about things. I'm curious about why people do what they do. I'm curious about people's behaviors. I'm curious about people's feelings. And I can find that in my brain and just bring that to the front. I'm just leading with that. I have all sorts of feelings, of course. But I'm going to lead with the curious part of me. Now, when I do, I'm automatically going to have a curious-looking face, a curious-looking body. I'm, I'm going to be transmitting to that person that I'm curious because I am, because I found that place in me that can be curious. And so I don't actually have to try to do anything. Uh, I find myself, not, this is not a prescription, but I find myself asking for more information rather than less. Somebody's angry and I'll say, oh, wow, uh, can you tell me more about that? Or what's that like for you when you feel that? Or what did you see? That, that made you so angry. And I genuinely want to know. I'm not using it as some technique, you know, people out there in internet land writing down, be sure to ask. But no, it's, I really do want to know. And it's an authentic expression of that curious part of me. It's good for me. It's good for them. And so all of a sudden, we're on a whole different plane. And sometimes, sometimes somebody's upset or angry and I can be curious and I can help them find the curious place in their head. And now we're both curious about this problem. Mm -hmm. And that is a great space for problem solving. It would be a great place to find with a patient in a consult room when you're talking about treatment and you're curious about what's going on with them. And so they start being curious about the dentistry and about what's dental health could be like. And now we're problem solving this thing from two curious minds rather than two scared minds. I'm scared you're going to reject me and you're the patient and you're scared how much it's going to cost because we're both scared. 
That's hard to problem solve for them. Do curious minds? Right. But you can lead by finding that curious place inside yourself. So another thing that I do, and this is an anti-anxiety tool okay. that, I, that I use, is I can only project into the future as far as I can, can while being calm and strategic. So if I start thinking about, wow, what's my practice going to be like next year? And I start getting tense or upset or I lose that sense of, of strategy or, or whatever. It's like, okay, next year's too far. Let's bring it back in. You know, what's going to be like in January? That's that's like five months from now. You know, okay, mm, no, still a little tense. Okay, reel it back. And based on different days, I can project out different distances. Now, some people say, but what if you have to figure out next year? Well, if I have to figure out next year and I'm in that state of uh, upset or, or worry or anxiety, I'm going to make bad decisions because I'm going to make the decisions for my anxiety. Okay. That's just, perm that'll just permeate everything. I'll make all the safe decisions, none of the bold decisions, you know, no, no, my best decisions come from finding that edge. How far out can I plan and still be strategic, still be reasonably calm about it? Because that's where I'm most creative. That's where I do my best thinking. Those decisions are going to likely be right and, and good to live with long-term. And so there's some things I can project way in advance because they don't bother me. And some things it's like, no, I'll just have to, um, I'm, I'm not going to think about next week. I'll just finish up this week and we'll think about next week, next week. Yeah, that's interesting. I think what I've seen most, most of the time in my experience so far has been that people don't get stressed about projecting in the future. They get overwhelmed. Well, with, okay. Yes. Yes. Overwhelmed with the options, overwhelmed with the work that it's going to take, um, but they they can think through it. Except for people that have a looming death. Okay. Okay. They can't I, I, often. I okay. disagree. Some. I I think that you know I was I was with you there because there's that idea of yeah they get overwhelmed, um, but what starts to happen as we get overwhelmed often is we start to feel helpless and helplessness is the biggest cause for our, our anxiety. Okay. When I'm feeling anxious where I go is, okay, so what's got me helpless. If I can fix the helplessness piece, I can get out of the anxiety, but I cannot just crowbar myself out of the anxiety with that helplessness piece still floating around. Um, a lot of people come in to my counseling office and they say, well, I'm just worried all the time. I go, yeah. Worry is what humans do by worry, meaning we spin up all sorts of solutions to the problem, but we can't act on any of them. And we just keep spinning and spinning more and more solutions uh, or thinking we, if we just rehearse this a bunch of times, we'll know what to do or what, well, what that's an effort of getting control of a situation that we feel helpless with. So what we need to do though, is, is figure out, well, why are we feeling helpless? And are we in fact helpless? And we work on the helplessness piece, which handles the worry, which handles the anxiety. So another way to say my thing, if, if, if I'm projecting next year and I'm starting to get overwhelmed and I'm feeling helpless and I'm start feeling anxious, 
well, is there something that I can nail down so I don't feel helpless with it? That'll go a long way to making me feel better. Mm. And one way is to just I'll just I'll just pull in my, you know, my 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 view. I won't look all the way into next year. You know, I'll pull it back. Uh, another one is just to maybe find that thing that makes me helpless mm. and try to figure out can I can I get better skills there? Can I actually do something with that? Uh, well, you know, I, I I don't know if that person on my team is going to even be here next year. Well, one possibility is I could worry about it. Or I could say, okay, so how am I going to ask her if she's going to be here next year? Maybe, maybe I could nail down that helplessness piece by actually going and asking. Do you use any kind of self-efficacy <clears throat> assessment when talking about that piece? Great idea. No, I don't. <laughs> okay. I've I've started to include that in uh, strategic planning retreats. Mm -hmm. um, I do it prior to doing vision work with the idea that if a person scores well, it's a little, it's an easy little eight question, six or eight question self-efficacy test. And I use that then to help provide them with support in achieving their vision. Whenever they write their vision, and like you said, they get stressed about or overwhelmed or anxious, all the above, about what it means to try to accomplish this in the future, whether that's one year or five years, then I'll refer back to that self-efficacy and say, you, you have it. You can do it. You know you can do it because this is how you scored on this. So yes. let's dig into this. Why do you now feel overwhelmed? What part of this? And try to sort that out. I think I'm just restating what you already said, just in a different way. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and it reminds me that one of the things I do frequently with clients is assign them to find a hero. Mm -hmm. In other words, someone who by watching them gives us a sense of, agency and a sense of courage and that's different for different people it's the ancestor or you know mythology or somebody on the tv or you know somebody in real life that they, you know i'm i'm open to that but it's it's that sort of self-efficacy thing mm -hmm. that also explains that lack of self-efficacy also explains why sometimes when we're doing strategic planning people say i just i just don't know i just can't decide and we're looking from the outside going no, I think you should be able to know. I mean, what's the, but one of the, the big byproducts of anxiety, even if you're not feeling the feeling part is basically your cognition goes down. Your, your, your IQ basically goes down. Yeah. You're much less aware. You, you, you're, you're moving thoughts through the molasses of your brain much slower than you were. And so it does feel like all of a sudden you don't know what you want you don't know what's going to happen but often it's like yeah but 30 minutes ago when we were talking around lunch you knew a lot of stuff that you don't know now i think you're anxious and i think that anxiety is about helplessness and that helplessness thank you for the piece is because we have moved out to the point where you don't feel like you have any efficacy mm -hmm. and i've i've blundered because I've, I've gone out past your efficacy and ask you a bunch of questions about stuff. And, and of course, you're not going to know because the anxiety is going to creep in. And yeah, now we now we got the cycle going again. Mm. Yeah. 
Uh, that I think ties in well with a tool that I've been using now with some success with teams. It comes from the liberating structures book, uh, which is a book of exercises for team building. This one is called WINFY, W-I-N-F-Y. That stands for what I need from you. So we do this uh, in small groups or in teams of offices, and we have them write out. If I were talking to you, I would say, Bill, I need open communication from you in order for me to be successful in our podcast. And then you, here's the interesting thing about the exercise. You get to say yes, no, or whatever. Actually, there's a fourth one. I will try. So your answer is based on partly your willingness and ability to do what I'm asking. It's also related to the clarity of my request. Yes. So if I can very clearly express my needs and where you fit into those, then you're able to accurately answer yes or no, or I will try. If I'm not clear, you get to say whatever. Now, when you go through that in a group, you, the first time, you get to see anybody that says whatever, the person says, oh, I wasn't clear enough. It's not whatever like uh, the the teenager talking to their parents about curfew or something. It's It has an, a specific intention that you actually will come back to later on so that the person writing the statement can then say, okay, I need to work on the clarity of my statement mm -hmm. before I re-ask it. So it's been a really important exercise in uh, getting people to express their needs more clearly. And sometimes those are emotional yes. needs. That's so, that's why I bring it up here. <laughs> and, and what that brings up for me as, as part of why I'm sitting here laughing, such a good idea. You know, I have I have sat in dental offices, you know, consulting and watched a doctor ask these beautifully articulated diagnostic questions of a patient that they were just like so so clear and penetrating and 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 then I'm with them in a in a team meeting and I turn and say, What do you want? And it's gobbledygook. It's like, oh my gosh, if you could be as clear with these guys as you were next to the chair you know an hour ago they would know exactly what you need but somehow you're just not very good at being clear around that and this is where we get to this thing i've been preaching a lot but i'm gonna bring it in again it is the skill of what if you just state needs as facts they are not judgments against them. They're not judgments against me. This isn't, oh, something's wrong with you guys because you didn't give me what my needs are, or I shouldn't need this, but I'm going to have to. No, what if it's just a fact? I am hungry right now. Mm. Just a fact. You guys don't have to do anything. I don't have to feel bad about it. It's just, you know, uh, stomach's empty. Um, I feel hungry. I, 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 can, I can use some lunch. Just a fact. I've been working with teams doing that and it has a startling 
ability to reconfigure all these sort of underlying semi-resentments that come when people are dealing with that they should have known and they should meet my needs. And it's like, no, just be clear. This is just the fact of my need. And now you get to respond to it or not or what. And so I, I and I, if you can state your needs as fact, and then you can go into the exercise you were talking about where you can state it as as unloaded from judgment as as humans can. Wow, you could you could get a lot going. You made me think of the uh seven habits of the truly miserable. <laughs> is that what your yes your thing My is called? Yeah. yeah. And uh one of them was um I think number seven is believe that you can change others or something like it's that. Wait for others to change. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So and some people that, spend their lives waiting for other people to change. Yeah. So when you said people comment, that person should know what I need. That person should know what I want. Um, maybe, maybe not. The should is irrelevant. It's, it's that you d can't control their behavior. You can control your own. And so with your own behavior, you can use your mouth and your words to say, factually, here is what I need to have happen. And that it's as simple as that. If you have to do that every day, then maybe somebody needs to have their future freed up in your office. But to a certain degree, it's on us to communicate effectively, not to try to expect the other people to change because of what they should or shouldn't know. You know, when I do the, the seven habits of the truly miserable, I, I do it as sort of a comedy routine. Yes. But that last one is a very painful place to be. It is. Where people are waiting for important people in their lives to suddenly look into the crystal ball and figure out, you know, what they need without them ever having to say what they need. And the effects of that is a lot of anxiety because it is disempowering. Remember, to wait for them to figure out what I need, it also means I can't say what I need. And if I can't say what I need, that's a powerless position. And in that powerless position, I'm going to feel anxious and small, and I'm going to resent the hell out of these other people. Because all of a sudden, I'm this little person. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big person. I'm a mm -hmm. little person that has to wait. And you're back being two years old you know, hoping that your mom can figure out you want a peanut butter sandwich. And that's not a place adults inhabit very well. And so it has really bad emotional consequences. Part of self-care is being able to ask clearly and effectively for what you want, what you need. I think that's a good place to stop for today. So that got you about a half hour of solid content whole lot of strategies for emotional self-care in there. Exercises you can do for yourself, for your team, family, others. So try those on. See how they go. Give us some feedback. You can always reach us at inspiropodcast at gmail.com. And if you are liking this, tell your friends. Talk at you next time. <laughs>